Welcome back to another episode of Resilient in Real, where we have real conversations about behavioral health and substance use disorders. My name is Miranda, the host of this podcast. A small announcement before we dive into today's episode. We are ending season three of the Resilient in Real podcast, so keep an eye out as we launch season four in the near future. For today's episode, we are going to have a conversation about veterans' mental health. We welcome Aaron Siebert, Chief Siebert, retired from the United States Navy after serving 20 years of honorable service. He is currently serving as the Southern California Chapter Veteran Coordinator for the Post Traumatic Stress Disorder Foundation of America. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chief Siebert. Thanks, Miranda. Great to be here. It's awesome. So we have a really fun episode, even just in us prepping for this. We had a few conversations, and I'm really excited to get to know you and dive into the work that you're doing. So to kick us off, if you can just tell me a little bit about you and the amazing work that you're doing now and and what brought you to it. Well, I'm Aaron Siebert. Uh, I'm a retired Navy chief, uh, corpsman of the United States uh, Navy. Uh, Spent most of my time with the Marine Corps. I'd say my identity kind of was Navy by the dotted line. Marine Corps by heart, corpsman by soul, and chief by dedication. And that kind of sums up a lot about, about my identity. But I spent a lot of a lot of my time, 20 years in the Navy. In 2006, I was hit by a mortar round in, in, in my third deployment to Iraq. Took over 100 pieces of shrapnel, had my last rights read to me. I considered myself on life number two. And uh, I came back and went through the United States Marine Corps' uh, Wounded Warrior Battalion West was uh, was born in 2007 and uh, allowed the wounded, ill, and injured to come there to heal together and move forward in positive directions. Fortunately, I was able to go as a patient slash staff and make some headway in a lot of different directions and also understand a lot more about my own injuries and really get a hold of a lot of nonprofits that were pouring in there because it was an active duty station where uh, a lot of nonprofits came in and really kind of put their footprint on the battalion, allowing guys to move forward in certain directions that they had available to them, programs and developments st- and great opportunities and connections, human connections on top of that, you know, just really, really things that mattered in life. You know, when I got hit, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm the corpsman. I'm supposed to heal. I'm supposed to help other Marines when they get hit. But I got hit, and I'm laying there, and Marines are, like, fixing me up. I was bleeding uh, in multiple different places, uh, dealing with a lot of things. But I was embedded in the Iraqi military at the time, helping them take over their country as a MIT team guy. MIT, Pit, Spit, Poets. These are all military Iraqi transition teams, uh, point of entry teams, small teams that were, that were put together to make this thing happen. And uh, we really worked hard to make – make it really work in Iraq so that the Iraqis could take over their territory and really kind of function in, in the battle space that they were, they were given. Uh, the police started coming up on, you know, everything was, was working out, but uh, our AO was taking 300 mortars a month. So that's 10 a day in our area of operation. So, so imagine your town taking 10 uh, mortar rounds every day. Wow. That's really what it was. So we were trying to reach out a little bit further and put a stop to, mortar round attacks and but i was standing on a porch uh trying to take a picture at the time and had my camera up because there were some smoke plumes in the background i took a lot of pictures uh just to Mm kind of capture the situations uh that we would encounter 
and the smoke plume, uh, I had my camera and the mortar round hit and, uh, my camera took a bunch of shrapnel. Luckily I had my hand on this eye. This hand took a bunch of shrapnel, uh, everywhere took a bunch of shrapnel. And, uh, but I'd be blind right now if I didn't have that camera up to my face. And so it really kind of pushed me as a corpsman where the, where the medical guys, where the guys where the Marines come and if they're feeling weak, if they're feeling like they need to talk, if they're feeling, and it's not a weakness that, that you would think is a weakness, but it's a chance for some of these, these guys who are dealing with things to be able to talk and release a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of home life stuff, a lot of things that we did on top of being the medical guy that's taking care of these guys. And then in combat medicine is fire superiority on, on the battlefield is the best medicine. Uh, but as soon as someone gets hit, we're usually the guys that have to help and really, you know, put these guys back together. But when I got hit, I was, I was that guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to be that guy. So coming back, I transitioned into a part of myself that I wore the uniform, but I was no longer the Superman that I could be anymore. I could no longer run. My tailless bone was, was, was hit. My right ankle was hit in such a way that 90% of my tendons and ligaments were destroyed or damaged. Um, so the Navy put me in a status, which was really cool. They put me in full duty with limitations, not worldwide assignable, stay at present duty station and retire at 20. Very few at the time had some, some something like that. There's only like 25 of us that actually got uh, permissions on, on this kind of, kind of, kind of thing. Usually you're on limited duty and they process you out, but they let me stay for five more years. And I stayed at Wounded Warrior Battalion West. I was the command chief of Wounded Warrior Battalion West and uh, really helped the wounded, ill, and injured of, of the West Coast manage a lot of these systems. And also during this time, I was helping manage a lot of my own systems, my own damage, my own uh, issues. But I, I really tried to, you know, still try to run sometimes, still try to do these things, but I paid a heavy price when I would do so. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning like later on after that, maybe five days I would be down and I would really be limping and I'd have to walk with sticks or I'd have, you know, just, just a lot of things. I really tried to do a lot of things. And, and luckily I had a lot of support and, you know, we as veterans or guys that really want to do what they, what they, what they came in to do will push themselves through a lot of really unfortunate things. And maybe to even a, a further detriment to our own injuries. Fortunately, I really managed mine. I was able to train in some of the coolest things and, and part of wounded warrior battalion West's, uh, concept was to not treat us like victims or, but to actually treat us like world-class athletes, put programs together that benefited us through uh, a lot of the programs, both physically and mentally, to really kind of learn a lot more and, and move ourselves in, in these directions that we could do. July of 2011, I retired and uh, I still wanted to be part of it. I still, I, I ran warrior groups there. And warrior groups basically to me was to talk to these guys. I was lucky to be part of a warrior group that was uh, all Purple Heart recipients and combat vets that we came together and we kind of had this whole thing for a long time. And so I started a, a different warrior group at uh, Wounded Warrior Battalion West that kind of incorporated everybody's injuries just to give us a place to talk because I felt like that was such an important part of my healing process. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great place. I met Jim Gillardi there, one of my, one of my mentors, great buddy of mine that, uh, you know, he, he was, he, he's out of, he's out of the Marine Corps since, you know, he, went, he was in Vietnam, he was a staff sergeant, three-time Purple Heart sniper. 
And uh, he would come to Wounded Warrior Battalion West and talk and help the guys out and just find find ways. And and uh, he was he was my battle buddy. We talked. Uh, we, we we had this group together and it really kind of bonded a lot of things, guys together. And I was still involved and I still am, uh, you know, to a point with active duty guys that may still exist. So I reach out to them and I also reach out to all kinds of combat vets at times. I track about 300 across the United States. Uh, I have a pretty good 50 or so guys within the Southern California chapter that really kind of come to warrior groups every Tuesday night. I still do a warrior group and I've done it ever since I've, I've gotten out in 2011. I, I did it even when I was in. Uh, but uh, when, when, when warrior build started, we only had three in that group and I was still running a group. But then when I did the PTSD foundation, I went out there to the facility. Now I do it under their curriculum, which is a faith-based uh, program. Uh, and it really helps the guys incorporate a lot of things. I have so many follow-up questions and, and I want to dive a little bit deeper. Throughout your story, though, I've seen that you've really had a transformation into different identities. And so you were the, like you said, the professional that was helping guys out in the field, then turned to kind of a consumer and needing the help, and then now an advocate. How has managing those identities really fueled you into the the best version of of advocacy that you're doing right now? When I was when I was in and I was at the, you know, I was thir- three, five, third battalion, fifth Marines, uh, corpsman, and we deployed into combat for the first time. And, you know, at that time I was already 10 years in, I still stay in contact and we, every day almost, or every, we, we have a, we have a group of 15 corpsmen that are very tight, uh, you know, cause we deployed together before war. Uh, mm. and we had a whole deployment to Okinawa and did this whole mission and do all these things. And then we came back in training and we came back and we had to gear up for war because right before we left for Okinawa, 9-11 hit. So 9-11 hit and we're like, hey, what are we going to do now? Are we still deploying? But no decisions were made. And it took a year for that to kind of come to fruition. But when we got back, we still did all this stuff. So for my identity to kind of go through this phase of, man, I I used to be this Superman in in, in OIF-1. I, I, I didn't want to give any of that up. I, you know, guys still call me chief out of respect now. It's not something I demand or require, but I do know that being a Navy chief has been a greatest honor of, of my life in a lot of ways, being that for Wounded Warrior Battalion West. What is it that you're seeing that the veteran or combat veterans are experiencing once they're not in the field anymore? I know that you said the PTSD Foundation. If you can kind of educate some of our our listeners and myself included of of what does that look like? The PTSD Foundation of America, and I'll, I'll go over that. That that really looks like guys are gonna gonna start working on a workbook, a workbook that was actually written by the Chaplain Corps. It's called a the the combat trauma healing manual and so they're going to work through that book pretty extensively and they're going to maybe hit a lot of triggers but they're also maybe a lot of these guys have de- are dealing with substance abuse and substance issues so what we have to do before they go to camp Hope is get them into a facility to be detoxed so immediately upon detox we want to get them to camp hope so that they don't relapse in between that time so it's like Detox gets out. Hey, can the detox center take him directly to the airport or do I need to accompany him to the airport? Let's fly him. It's free for the veteran for everything. Then Camp Hope has a full on live in facility, but it's not a lockdown facility. It's not 
But it's like, hey, here's the rules. You can't have any substance. You got to do this. There's a cleaning process. It's almost like being kind of in in boot camp in one aspect, but it's not. It's just you're waking up, you're, you're being processed, you're doing all these things that you have to do every day to be responsible for good hygiene, good thought processes, helpfulness, teamwork. And then you're going to events and you have, you're also going to meet, um, you know, people that are going to be guiding you through this. So they're veteran coordinators, just like I am. They're the coordinator that's actually running these guys throughout their daily activities. And they've also, most of the, most likely, this guy was a, uh, in, the, in the program at one point. Everybody that you're dealing with have had some sort of, most mostly, I would say 90% of the people you're going to deal with on a daily basis are combat veterans, helping combat veterans. Mm-hmm. But in between, there's a lot of, a lot of downtime for you to process some of these things. You know, I'd say that, you know, the most, the most help happens in between when guys go outside and they start talking to each other and they start mm-hmm. moving and they start doing things. They're living with each other. So you get this whole uh, support network of veterans moving forward in, in a direction together. Mm-hmm. And once they graduate that process, they, they sometimes have the option to go out and take this back to the area that they're at and start running warrior groups or doing something like that, or becoming uh, hired on as, as a, as a veteran coordinator for, for the PTSD foundation. So it kind of looks like that, if that gives you mm-hmm. kind of that clue, but you know, and, and warrior build, it's, it's vocational recreational support, which is a really cool piece of the pie as far as like help and support. Mm-hmm. So it includes so many different things, so many aspects. When you think about that, as an organization, when you write that down on what do you do as an organization, vocational, recreational support, what does that look like? It looks like everything, anything yeah. you want to do in life. It looks like what I, if, if I want to jump from an airplane today, if I want to, you know, go race a car, if I want to, you know, I mean, it's what I do in life, right? I just finished doing a song with my wife. So is that vocational, recreational support? By all means, it is. And it was inspired a lot because. You know, the facility at Warrior Built has that full-on jam session, you know, and I, I, I partaked in that and I've improved my, my singing. I have a singing coach. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things that happen because of that, but it's all therapeutic effect mm-hmm. and it's really putting yourself around guys moving forward in that positive direction and trying not to get caught up in the substance abuses and mm-hmm. uh, the really bad parts of life and and uh, losing out on everything. Mm-hmm. Why is it a little bit more prominent in uh, like a veteran community? I know that we at behavioral health see that it, it, it has all walks of life, but, but why do we see some commonalities there? When you join the military, you have to understand what you're joining is, you know, if you, if, if you look at it, it's, um, you know, you take orders from a superior officer. And that officer has to give you a, you know, a, a legal order, but it's, it, it's passed down. And it has to be carried out. You're competing against everybody as you're trying to pick up rank. And so the structure of your life immediately changes because you go to boot camp and you're shifted into a gear and an idea that you have to follow a different idea than what you had when you were 18 and you're just in school hanging out with your buddies. And and now you have the responsibility of the United States of America on you in such a way that Mm -hmm. do you hold that as a true value? Where does the core of that come from? And now you're pressured to certain pressures that you're not used to. You're told how to do everything. Everything works out a certain way. But when you get out, you lose that pressure 
immediately. And, and I'll say for combat vets, it's even further because now you've taken what you've learned just to, to go to school for, you've trained for this. Now you're implementing it. And now there's some true excitement, but then immediately dire circumstances of responsibility are shown when you lose your buddies. Now life is lost at a, at a level that you've never th- felt and you've never had the time to mourn because the mission requires you to shift immediately back to the mission. Even though you might cry one or two tears, you don't have time to fully mourn. So there's a lot of dynamics within that package that creates some really weird bins in your thought processes, in your mindsets. And when you come out, those pressures are gone. The adrenaline rush that you felt or Mm -hmm the superiority complex that you might have because you've done the most grandest thing in your life. You've went to combat and you fought. Mm -hmm. So you come back and the wife asks you to take out the trash (laughs) and, and you're like, where, where's, where's the value. But Mm -hmm. the loss is not, not being able to focus and say, taking out the trash is a very important job and you lose track of what important means Um, in some of these instances, or you're unable to find purpose in that you're unable to enjoy it, or you're unable to. And so a lot of times I say, Hey man, if you're going to take out the trash, do it at night, maybe, maybe you're going to feel better at night because there's a calming effect and you're going to go outside and you're going to hope that something's going on, but it's not. And you're going to be glad that it's not, but you're going to want some, some, and then just check out how the moon might be hitting the light and the light might be reflecting off the grass and just grasp that moment for a minute and just think how powerful that moment is. And so these are the kind of things that I use to ground some of those thought processes. So some of these tools are super important. It takes a, a humbling mindset to kind of drop yourself down into the real world and just kind of where do you find where do you find peace and settlement and where do you find your non-triggers or triggers let's get those triggers hit in a way that you can manage them so you have to learn to taste the freedoms that you fought for and enjoy that taste for a minute without expectations of chaos Mm. and i you know a lot of times i call uh, creating chaos and i think we all need to create some chaos in our in our lives but because we need that uh, the drama for a minute, but we need to learn to pull that back in and know where it's at and then get back into the routine. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of tools, a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of resources, a lot of time that you need to spend on yourself to mm-hmm. develop these skills on your pace. Yeah. And, and I think it, it touches on too, like the importance of community. And I know that you said that there's the warrior groups. Um, how, how come that is so important to to connect with like-minded people and with the shared experiences? It's a true connection and a true a true battle buddy friend. Um, some guys that really will gravitate towards true friendships with each one of these guys in some way or s- s- somehow. So that dynamic is very sacred and really cool. There's, mm-hmm. there's, and I, I would say that because this group exists for combat vets, I would say almost every human needs this kind of group. And I'd say sometimes, and, and, and there's no judgments going on. There's no, you know, there's no prerequisites. There's, I mean, the prerequisites, you got to be a combat vet and served in a combat zone 
and and deal with the you know the unseen wounds of war, which is PTSD. But what happens to a lot of us is as as we get out of the military, we feel like we can't connect with anybody, and so we isolate. And in that isolation, we become lost in our own thoughts. We can't put puzzle pieces together because we have nobody else to kind of associate with. So when I come into a group and I see everybody and I hear them tell their story, I'm like, wow, I can relate to that. And now I can articulate that thought because I have that thought. But because I listen to you, mm-hmm. now I have the piece of puzzle that I can speak on behalf of my own feelings and issues based off of that piece of the puzzle that I got. And I wouldn't have gotten it in my own head. Mm-hmm. What can we as an, a society do to better understand what our veterans are going through and, and have a little bit more compassion? I know that we have a, the utmost respect, but what can we do to, to really understand? I feel like veterans sometimes put some really weird expectations on society. Meaning some people uh, say, hey, thank you for your service. And they feel like maybe that's the wrong thing to say. I really appreciate it. And the reason why is because it's a chance to, I would say veterans need to try to be a little bit more uh, involved in society as society tries to help them, as society tries to do their thing. But if you really want to understand, you ask about it. You get involved in some of these communities and and you, and you just kind of um, – you kind of maybe get with uh, some of these nonprofit organizations, but get involved with some of these nonprofits that are really doing some amazing things for our, our veterans mm-hmm. and see where that, where that leads. And then spend some time with some veterans and figure out what is it that's, that's hard in their life. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, what, what is it that's hard in your life? And maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe they'll, they'll say it, it's substance abuse. It's, uh, you know, it's family or it's, you know, finding my purpose. Just, just being able to listen to them and kind of gather some information and then see where you want to go with that information. Mm -hmm. I think that's why you're, when you touched on just how we can support and better understand, I think that's what's definitely something that our listeners can walk away with of understanding more and, and how to, how to just show up and, and be there. And is there anything that you would like to close us out on? I would say that, you know, putting me on your show is probably a really cool thing because not very many podcasters have gotten to ask me the questions that push me into the these zones. And so it's really kind of interesting. But I, I would say that, you know, get a, get a hold of some of these these veterans that are working with these nonprofits that are really making a difference, hopefully. You know, the PTSD Foundation, there's a full, full of combat vets that are doing some incredible things. And then we have family coordinators that are doing that. And, and get in touch with them and, and ask them, you know, what, how, how they're, you know, where are they doing in the weeds? What's, what's going on truly what's going on with our veteran community. And, you know, I, I've been invited to do studies and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm really happy to kind of express some of those things out loud and especially something off of my normal route that being, you know, my podcast combat vet vision, I, I speak on it on behalf all the time, but I maybe don't go as deep as you've, allowed me to go because yeah. <laughs> you know maybe it creates chaos and I like chaos a little bit <laughs> like you said a balanced chaos yeah but I'm, I'm honored to be here and this is it's, it's just it's really cool so thank you thank you and thank you Aaron for your for your service and and thank you for for being here today Hi, my name is Manette O'Brien. I'm with San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health, and I'm the chair of the Veterans Awareness Subcommittee, whose mission is to educate, 
providers, and community members on military veteran culture and to provide resources to our military personnel, veterans, reservists, and their families, as well as to our DBH staff and community providers who serve them. And my uh, commitment to veterans is having had many family members and friends who've served our nation. I find it important that we provide services to those who have signed their names on the dotted line and who have given all. I've been with the subcommittee since its inception. Hopefully we can reach more of our veterans in the community, make them feel at home. Some statistics on our veterans. Uh, Research shows that veterans are more likely to develop PTSD than civilians. And among veterans, those who deploy are more likely to have PTSD than veterans who do not deploy. For self-screening, veterans can go to www.ptsd.va.gov backslash screen. Resources for those looking for PTSD information, number one would be the National Center for PTSD, which provides information on understanding PTSD, information on treatment options, for getting help, and information for family and friends. That can be located at ptsd.va.gov. PTSD Foundation of America has a combat trauma helpline, which is 877-717-PTSD, which is 7873. And their website is ptsdusa.org. Veterans can also seek assistance at vet centers. The vet center has a call center, which offers a free around-the-clock confidential call center where veterans, service members, and their families can talk about their military experience or any other issue that they are facing in transitioning after military service or trauma and get connected to their nearest vet center. The call center team is comprised of combat veterans from several eras as well as family members of veterans. The phone number is 877-927-8387. More information can be found at vetcenter.va.gov. San Bernardino Department of Behavioral Health, Military Services, and Family Support Program provides in-home and on-location services tailored to the needs of active duty and retired military personnel and their families. This service is provided free of charge to individuals who are active duty, National Guard, reservists, or have recently returned from a deployment and to their families. No referral is needed, and individuals may contact agency directly. Providers include Pacific Clinics up in 29 Palms, whose phone number is 760-228-9657, and Victor Community Support Services in Barstow at 760-255-1496. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Resilient and Real podcast. For more information about mental health and substance use disorder services and resources, please visit sbcounty.gov dbh. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the Resilient and Real podcast as we keep it real on your journey to achieving optimum wellness. Until next time, remember to live life, be resilient, and keep it real.